since the beginning of the year. We've been focusing on the Christ. We've been looking at Jesus throughout the entire Bible. And we begin looking at the shadow of Christ, that is, the Old Testament passages that, that revealed the, the nature of Messiah who was to come and that Jesus, who Jesus was going to be. And then we began looking at his life. We started having Christmas back in the summertime and looking at his birth, but then we looked at his ministry as well. We looked at his entrance into Jerusalem. We looked at his, his arrest, his, his crucifixion, um, as well as we looked at his, his resurrection as well. And we have began a few weeks ago looking at his return, the return of Christ. And what's exciting about it is that coincided exactly with, with his advent as well. And so we get to look at his first coming at the same time as we get look at to look at his, his second coming, the, the one that we look forward to in the future. And, and I've had this on the sermon note sheets over the last few weeks and I really haven't shared it, but just the importance of the topic. Sometimes we, we kind of miss this, this, this topic a lot because it's a lot of it's prophetic and, you know, no man knows the day or the hour. And we'll talk about that even more detail today. But, and so we kind of put it off a little bit. We think about, well, since we don't know exactly how it is, but Revelation 1, if you remember a couple of years ago when we looked at the book of Revelation, Revelation 1 starts with a blessing. You know, that Jesus said, blessed are those who read this prophecy. And so looking toward his return is a very special thing for us. It's important for us because it reminds us that, you know, this isn't it. It's not live, eat, and drink, and, and then you're going to what? Die. But rather, Christ is coming again. And it may exactly, it may be today. It very well be today. It may be a hundred years from now. It may be a thousand years from now. You know, I have my, my personal thought process. I think he's coming in my lifetime. But if he doesn't, it doesn't ruin my faith and hopefully it doesn't ruin your faith because we know that God's word is true. And though for years people look forward to the first coming, you know, and, and it didn't happen exactly necessarily when they expected it to happen. Some were still waiting for it. The fact is that Jesus what? He did come. Okay? And he promised that he is going to come again. And so this topic is very important for us. And for me, as I consider Advent and as I consider the, the weeks as we prepare and, and looking to, to for the, the incarnation of, of God into the earth, and not that he's incarnating again, but just as a reminder of what he's done for us, it's a reminder to me that we're getting nearer and nearer to the time of his return. And just as I need to prepare my heart for this time of the season and not get swept up in materialism and, 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 and the guck of, of, our, of our culture, I need to be thinking about that all the time. Jesus is coming again. And we'll talk about that again in more detail today. So today we want to look at the timing of the incarnation uh, or the timing of his return. And again, the first part, we've been looking at his first coming, and then we look at the second coming. And so the timing of the incarnation. And, and so there's a lot in God's word regarding his coming. And we read a little bit from Luke 1, um, just a little bit ago, Steve read that, and we're going to be looking some more of that. But first of all, right off the bat, um, I have a lot of the verses on the screen today, just for the sake of time. But in Galatians 4, one of my, uh, I got a lot of favorite verses, but anyways, one of my favorite verses. Um, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son to be born of a virgin, to be born under the law, that he might redeem those who were under the law. But know what it says in the underlying portion, in the what? The fullness. The word pleroma in, in the Greek means completeness. Again, you've probably heard me say this before, but it's, it's the cup. And, and you're filling the cup, and, 
It's, it's that point where the hydrogen bonding, okay? Don't you love science and math? It's all cool stuff. Anyways, um, and God designed it all way back in the beginning, right? And so it's when that hydrogen bonding works, you know, when, when you look at it and the liquid is actually bubbling over, not pouring over the rim, but actually bubbling over the rim. That, does everybody understand that? That there's actually a point with hydrogen bonding with liquid because of the hydrogen molecules and how they form together that actually you can get a little bit more than a full cup in a cup. But if you drop one more drop in, what happens? It pours over the edge because it breaks that hydrogen bonding and it just kind of rolls over the edge. That's the word pleroma. When the cup was full and the completion of chronos, and that's the measurement of time, and we talk about the chronometer in the back that I ignore all the time, that's the clock, right? It's the measurement of time. And, and so... That's chronos. It's not events, kairos. It's chronos. It's, it's actual the seconds. And so God said that he actually had, if you would, the picture, that he actually had this cup that was seconds were being filled into it. And, and now it comes even funner because, you know, when we watch the Olympics and we, and we watch horse racing and stuff like that, now they don't just d- determine how fast it was the race, you know, how many minutes and seconds. Now it's down into the milliseconds. I mean, now it's, they got this thing on, running with hundreds and thousands of seconds, you know, and, and, and I saw a race, it was a couple of weeks ago, I was just at some place, and I, I keep meaning to find out who, who won it, because they never, they never declared a winner, you know, for 20 minutes. There was a photo finish, and literally both of the horses' noses came over, and I could just imagine them there trying to go into that, the milliseconds, you know, to find out which you know, hair of the nostril came across the line. Of, well, you know what? That's what was happening. These milliseconds and these seconds were filling this cup of time, if you would, of history. And God said, when it was ready, Jesus came. And he fulfilled all, remember those prophecies a couple weeks ago we talked about? He fulfilled all those prophecies that were declared concerning him, that he would be born of a a virgin, something that never happened before, never did happen again. I mean, kind of a wonderful thing. How many of you were ever born of a virgin? Yeah, I didn't think so. So anyways, so he was born of a virgin, born of a, a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoptions of sons. So Galatians chapter 4 talks about this concept of time, okay, which sometimes we're afraid to talk about um, because we don't want to be the Herald Campings and setting dates and all that kind of stuff and looking like false prophets. But in Daniel chapter 9... Daniel, in his prophecy, this is before Jesus ever came, okay? He's talking about time. And he's talking about time from the perspective of the coming of Mashiach, the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Jesus, the Christ, okay? And he says in chapter 9, we read, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. The street shall be built again in the wall, even in troublesome times. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. Isn't that cool? Who is he going to get cut off for? Us. Okay? So he can redeem us. It's cool stuff. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end of it will be with a flood till the end of the war. Desolations are determined. Now, we know, prophetically speaking, looking back at that, that each of those weeks represented seven years, okay? There were 70 weeks in Daniel's vision, a total of 490 years. But Daniel says, by, by God's Spirit speaking, that 483 years were going to pass from the time that there was a decree 
to rebuild Artaxerxes until Messiah would come and be cut off. Artaxerxes made the decree to rebuild Jerusalem. And guess how many years there were between the time Artaxerxes' decree and the coming of Messiah? 483 years. It's cool stuff. I mean, and God had declared, I mean, this is finite, detailed stuff that God has placed in his word. That secular realm, you know, if you go out there on the internet, you're going to find things. And I do, and I go out and I research the other side, because I want to know what the other side says. It's amazing how they try to debunk it. You know? But God's word, he's put enough detail in there to, to verify that, that these things would happen. So, so God says, listen, there's a timetable. There's actually a fullness of time that's going to happen. And you'll know it if you, if you would be looking at it. So I think, again, you remember how I said about all these, the priests and the high priests and the chief priests and the, and the scribes and the Pharisees and all these people who weren't looking for Jesus? God gave them a pretty good what? A pretty good indicator, don't you think? Don't you wish that God would have given us an indicator and said that, you know, in 75 years after Israel becomes a nation again, that, that Jesus is going to return? Yeah, it would be nice. Wouldn't it? We'd all be looking at 1948, adding 75 years to it, and saying, okay, Jesus is going to come now. So now I can do what? I can do whatever I want to, and, uh, and the night before Jesus comes, I can get right with God. The sad thing is too many people would try to do that, and they die. They die in their sins. Okay. Well, Luke chapter 1, we didn't read this part this mo- uh, already this morning, but we read a little bit more details now after God had spoken through his angel to to Zacharias and said that Elizabeth's going to have a child, right? And his name's going to be John, and he's going to he's going to turn the hearts of the the children to their fathers and the father to the children. And later, when he's when he's talking to Gabriel, uh, Gabriel says to him and says, "So it was, so it was, as soon as the days of his that is Zechariah's service were completed, that he departed to his own house. Now, after those days, what days? The days of his service. Okay, his wife Elizabeth, what?" conceived okay remember she was old and barren and she hid herself for five months saying thus the lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked upon me to take away the reproach among my people now in the sixth month remember god has details here right in the sixth months the angel gabriel the same angel was sent by god to a city of galilee named nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was joseph of the house of david the virgin's name was mary Okay, and we know the story. And Gabriel says, Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. Now I add that passage because God tells us about the sixth month twice. Because up in verse 26, when it says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God, you could be confused here and say, Well, maybe it was the sixth month of the year. But God comes down, lest you be confused, God comes later through Gabriel and he says, now this is the sixth month for her was called barren. In other words, it's not just the sixth month from the year. You don't have to worry about what time of the year it was. You just have to know that it was the sixth month of her pregnancy. Make sense? Now, so we're given a little bit more details now about the timing of Christ's coming. We know that it was going to be 483 years after Artaxerxes issued the decree. And we know that it's going to be what? Related to this time. The timing of, of Zechariah's service at the temple, because nine months or so after Zechariah served in the temple, Elizabeth was going to have a baby, yes? But Elizabeth was pregnant for six months when Mary was told that she was going to conceive. So do the math. That means 15 months after Zechariah's service, Jesus would be born, right? So if we could figure out what? 
When was Zechariah serving? We'd figure out when Jesus was born. Well, in Luke chapter 1, we just read this part. It says, There was in the days of Herod the king of Judea a certain priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, or Abiyah, okay, or Abijah, depending how you want to say that. Okay, And that's an important detail because we'll look in a moment, but in the book of First Chronicles, we're told about these divisions that the priests were in. Okay, So he's the division of Abijah. His wife's name his wife was the daughter of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. Verse 8, so it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his, fe- his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And uh, this is important. I should underline this part as well. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense, and the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. Well, the next part we want to look at is this thing from 1 Chronicles 24 and Deuteronomy 16. We're not going to go there. You can go check me out on it, okay? It's on the sermon note sheets. You can write it down. Go check me out. Make sure I'm right. But in 1 Chronicles 24, verses 4 to 5 and verse 10, we're told that there were 24 divisions of priests and that each of the divisions would serve the Lord twice. There would be two courses per each division. Abijah, or Abiyah, was the eighth of those divisions, okay? So he would have the eighth and the sixteenth of the of the services. Well, maybe. We'll see that in a moment. In Deuteronomy 16, we were also told that there are three mandatory festivals, Passover, Shavuot, which is what we call Pentecost, and Sukkot, which is what is called Tabernacles, that all the, the men of Israel, that all Israel was supposed to come to Jerusalem. So, that meant that all the priests would be what? Serving during those times. Does anybody know how many weeks there are in a Jewish calendar? 51. They have a lunar calendar, okay? And the months alternate between 30 and 29 days, based upon a lunar cycle, okay? And if you work all that out, there's a basically 51 weeks, not 52 weeks, 51 weeks. And they, So every year or two, two or three years, they have a leap year where they add an extra month, add R2, which we'll talk about that later in just I'll mention it later because that adds into the unknown of when Jesus was born because was it a leap year? That would really mess things up bad, you know? So, anyways, but but we know that on a basic year there was 51 weeks, and guess what? 24 times 2 is 48 plus the 3, there's what? 51. 51 weeks, 51 opportunities for the priests who serve. God has everything worked out. Isn't that cool? Now, we don't know what they did in Adar 2 and how they worked that out, but we do know there was 51 weeks and there were 51 services. So, therefore, Zechariah would have served, first of all, the third week because that was Passover, and you can see the Gregorian equivalent. Now, that Gregorian equivalent, okay, I, I, I love details and I love the research, right? So, that's all the way from 1980 to 2015, okay? So, that's, that's the range I took between 1980 and 2015, okay? That's the widest range there was. So, March 26th to April 24th, that's when Passover could be anywhere in that ballpark, okay? And then his, we would have served the ninth week and the tenth week. And depending on when Shavuot landed and when Passover was, the, the ninth week actually could have been Shavuot, and the tenth week his first course, the tenth, you know, or vice versa. I put down the ninth week being his first course and Shavuot being the tenth week, okay? But you can see basically that runs then from May to the middle of June. The 29th week was te- uh, Tabernacles, Sukkot, and that runs from September 19th to October 18th, and then the 35th week, beginning of November to beginning of December. So what does all that mean? You said, that's really awesome, Bob. What's that mean? Well, that means that Jesus had to be born 15 months after one of those time frames. Make sense? Okay. So 
door number one, door number two, door number three, door number four, right? So now you've got to narrow down as either June, July, August, September, December, January, or February, March. Now, based upon uh, custom and tradition, we want to choose what? December, January. Now, honestly, I like that one, okay? I like the concept potential of the 29th week. Why? Now, the thing, let me just jump back for a moment and say, the thing that keeps me away from this is the one statement that's made in Luke 1, okay, and just straight up, that says that he was, it was in the course of his division that he was serving. Okay, make sense? So that would, if that was, if that's in there for a reason, and that, that's really key, in other words, that it wasn't just, he was one of the, one of the festivals, three festivals that he was there for, but it was one of his courses, then really we're, we're, we come down now and we limit it to uh, week 9 and week 35, which means that it has to be August, September, or February, March that he was born. Okay? I hope that doesn't shake you too bad. Okay? It, the point is it doesn't matter if we have the exact day. It's the fact that he what? He was born. Okay? I like the concept, though, of it being one of the feasts. Because of that part I said I, I wanted to underline, and that is we're told that there was a what? There was a whole multitude that was waiting for him. Now, in the morning and the evening, evening, they would have this incense sacrifice, okay, that was outside of the Holy of Holies. They would offer this incense. And, and, and it became tradition that they would wait for the guy to, to do that. But the fact that there was this whole multitude tells me that there was a huge mass of people there who were waiting for him. And they can't go in until he comes back out. So this is a big deal. What's happening to Zacharias offering the, offering the incense? Did he die? You know, should we go in? Is, you know, and he comes out and clearly he's seen a, he's seen a vision, right? So I, I like the fact that it's the 29th week, which means that it would come into this, this ballpark, okay? Now, I don't want to get into details. A year ago I preached on this a little bit more details when we went into, um, um, the Roman Emperor Constantine, and we talked about how Saturnalia and Brumilia and, and how um, Christmas came to be this time frame, and, and he amalgamated the pagan holidays of the, the worship of the sun god with the son of God. Okay, But Satan always likes to put out a what? A counterfeit. That's exactly right. And Satan has said that he'd be like the most high God. And how long has Satan been opposed to the plan of God? Since creation, okay? So, I mean, it's been a long time. He's had, you know, four to 6,000 years to be against God. And so, especially this time, and if he knew the prophecies, and in Malachi, we're told that the son of righteousness, S-U-N, of righteousness would come. And if he knew the time frame that all this might happen, what do, what would you do? I'd start putting out a what? A, a counterfeit, an imposture. Something, when, when it happened, people would say what? Oh, yeah, we've heard that before. We've heard that before. And so the Son of God came to the world. Well, yeah, we've heard of all these gods and goddesses, and they all have their, their offspring. In fact, all the way, if you go all the way back to, to Babylonian mythology, you have Ishtar giving birth to Tammuz. You have the Queen of Heaven giving birth to the, the Sun God. And that follows through with all the mythology and through the um, Medo-Persian mythology, the Greek mythology, and the Roman mythology, where you have Juno giving birth to Saturn. And then, sadly, into Christian mythology, where you have Mary, the Queen of Heaven, giving birth to Jesus, the Sun God. And if you look at a lot of the, the um, a lot of Christmas cards, you see Mary with this glow about her, and you see Jesus with this glow about her. You don't see it around Joseph. You don't see it around anybody else. And it's not a halo that goes like this. It's the sun. 
look at it. It has the radiance coming out, the beams coming out of it. There is this Christian mythology, which I, I just call Christian mythology. It's just, it's taking it all the way back through and bringing it all the way up. It's an amazing thing. In fact, Easter is named after Ishtar, the Babylonian goddess. Okay? It comes from Esther Monoth, which was Gaelic, and it comes all the way back down through. So I don't say all that just to ruin your fun here, but just the fact that we have to be honest and, and know what things are going on. But timing-wise, God has it all lined out. Okay? Now, clearly God left us with what? One little missing piece of the puzzle. Why do you think it is? Because it's his mystery to keep. So that we don't idolize a time. Do you understand? It's not important the day or the hour. It's important of the promise and the completion and the fact of it. Do you get it? Jesus did come just as God had told. And he came in the fullness of time. And as we go through the Advent season, not only do we look at the prophecies regarding his coming, not only do we look at what the climate was like when he came and, and looking at our climate today and looking at the return of Christ, but knowing that God had a plan. And God what? He completed it. And we're, as we're going to see now, as we transition to the second coming, as God was true to his promise for the first coming, God will be true to his promise for the second coming, for the timing of his return. And just as there were indicators for the coming of Christ, and that they shouldn't have been taken by surprise, they may not have known the day or the hour, and today we still don't know necessarily the day or the hour, they knew the what? They should have known the season because God told them it was going to be what? 483 years after the decree. They should have been waiting. They should have been watching. And my promise to you here is by the end of this, hopefully by the end of this message, you're going to hear me say the same thing to you about us. That God has it the same way for us. And we should be waiting and we should be watching. Well, let's first of all talk about the indicators of Christ's second coming. Okay, now again, you know, I'm not Harold Camping, I'm not Jack Van Empey, I'm not going to set a day or an hour, I'm not going to set even a year for you, okay? But what I want to present to you is what I think Scripture and even extra-biblical, some extra-biblical stuff, reveals regarding the timing of Christ's coming. Well, first of all, we want to look at the earth's chronology. That means the history of the world. How old is the world? Well, in Exodus chapter 20, and you can go and look at the passage here, in fact, let's go there. Let's go to Exodus 20, since I have just some details about it. Let's go to Exodus 20. I know that's where you're expecting to go, talking about Christmas, and uh, talking about the return of Christ is to go to Exodus 20, looking into the Ten Commandments. But in Exodus 20, beginning at verse 8, is the reading regarding the, the, the Shabbat day, the day of Sabbath. In verse 8 it says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Shabbat of the Lord, your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son, nor your daughter, your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days Yahweh made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested the seventh day. Therefore Yahweh blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Now, know with me. Your Bibles, unless you have the NIV or something like that, and I don't mean that as being ignorant I'm just or being rude, just it's a fact, it's not literal. If you have a literal Bible, then what you read in verse 11, for what? 
in, but the, the word in is what? Italicized, which means that it's not in the original. It's not in the Hebrew. Okay? And so what I have up on the screen here is some of the words that are, are, that are there in 20. So the word, first word for is the Hebrew word he. Okay? And, and, and key is a, is a causal word meaning because of or for this reason. Okay? And so it's not just, you know, like a trans, a transitional word, or what, but it's something that literally displays cause. If you have ESORT or whatever, you can go check me out on this one. You can look at the number there and it'll show you the Strong's um, stuff, and you can do the, the Brown Driver Briggs looking at it, and you'll see that this word actually is that. It's, it says it's causal. It has a causal relationship. And then it goes on and it says, because, and then get rid of the word in because it's not there, because six days Yahweh made the heavens and the earth, okay, in the, the, or for six days, Yahweh made the heavens and the earth, and the sea that all that is in them. And then what? Well, rested. Well, that word is the word menach. Um, and it has that, that cheth. Uh, we all love the letter cheth, right? Cheth, because it's that guttural, and you get the clear out your throat on it. But it's menach. And it comes from the word nuach. And it means that um, he rested, or it's in the it's in the hiffel, okay? And there, again, if you do any other foreign languages, you understand that they're conjugations of... of English, we don't get it. We do past, present, and future, you know? But there's also, the, you know, we've got the present, and the, we do the perfect and the imperfect and stuff like that. Well, in Hebrew, they got niffles and hiffles and hoffles and, uh, and, and cows and, I mean, just all this kind of stuff. And it, it's a great language. It really is. And God chose it for a particular purpose um, for the, putting this stuff through. But this is a hiffle, which means that when it's used with it, it's a hiffle. It really is a hiffle. H-I-P-H-I-L. Come on, don't laugh. And, um, but it's causal, okay? And so it's not just that he rested. But he caused to rest. Do you understand? So when that word is used in that conjugation form, that it actually means that he caused to rest. So he caused blank, whatever, fill in the blank, to rest. Okay? And so, and we're told then, not in, then the seventh day he rested, but rather it says, Beyom ha shi'i. And it says, it says that in the seventh day, now, it didn't say in before. The bait is not there. But now, all of a sudden, with the seventh day, bait is there, which means that in the seventh day, okay? So bring it all together. Say, well, okay, Bob, that was a lot of Greek to me. No, it wasn't. It was Hebrew. Okay? And literally, if you take the passage and you translate it, literally it says, for six days God made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in it, and he shall cause it to rest in the seventh day. God created the earth for six days. And in the seventh day, he will cause it to rest. That's what it says. Okay? Now, I found that out years ago. I mean, I love Hebrew, and you all know that in, in the Greek and stuff. And I love doing that. And, and I was studying this out, and I presented it in the previous church I pastored. And I had a guy come up to me and said, have you ever been reading the, the epistle of Barnabas lately? And I said, no. <laughs> it's not in the Bible. It's, it's, in, it's one of the early church fathers, okay, and, and, and I have the writings of it, but I'd never read Barnabas' epistle to the Ephesians before. He says, well, you need to. Well, it's really interesting because Barnabas says in chapter 15 of his epistle to the Ephesians, now understand, this is not the Bible. Okay, this is the Barnabas who was with Paul. Okay, Paul and Barnabas. And he wrote an epistle to the Ephesians, but it wasn't considered canon. Okay, so it's not a part of your Bible. So I'm not saying that this is canonized. Hear me out, okay? But this is an early church father from the days of Paul and what he understood about Exodus chapter 20 and what he understood about the return of Christ. Okay? 
Of the Sabbath, he speaks in the beginning of creation. And God made the works of his hands in six days, and he ended on the seventh day and rested on it, and he hallowed it. Give heed, children. What does this mean? He ended in six days. He means this, that in 6,000 years, the Lord shall bring all things to an end. For the day with him signifies a thousand years, and this he himself bears me witness, saying, Behold, the day of the Lord shall be as a thousand years. Therefore, children, in six days, that is, in six thousand years, everything shall come to an end. And he rested on the seventh day. This he means when his son shall come. Now, that's a really interesting statement for someone to have made, especially Barnabas, who was with Paul, and who was one of the early first missionaries going out into all the world. And he's writing to the believers of Ephesus and telling them what? From the beginning of the world, there's going to be 6,000 years before Christ returns. Now, what's really interesting about that is to know how, where was he at in that time continuum. Well, for that, we want to look at Israel's chronology. Well, from Adam to the death of Noah, and you now understand, I can't do all this for you right now, okay? But this is basically from Genesis 1 to Genesis 12. And if you take the time, again, I'm a math major, computer guy, I love this stuff, okay? But the details are all there in God's Word, and you can do a chronology of the world. You know, because it tells us that after Adam was born, or born, created, he lived 935 years, okay? And that after he was so old, he gave birth to Seth, okay? And then... Seth was so old when he gave birth to so-and-so, and so-and-so. You understand? So you could go on, and you can actually do a chronology of the earth. And you can just kind of line this thing up. Well, from the, at, the time of Adam to the death of Noah, which I have a six-years difference between the death of Noah and the call of Abram. Okay? So statistically speaking, using 2,000 years, I think they have a 3% uh, plus or minus is a pretty good thing there, okay? Because it's six years, okay? It's 2,000 years. And I don't think there's any wonder in my brain, why is it that Noah dies and Abram is called? I think God was changing his plan from one thing to another thing. Well, the next little interesting thing is from Abram to time of Christ is 2,000 years. In fact, Bishop Ushery, how many of you have heard of Bishop Ushery? Uh, okay, anyways, some of you have. Okay, he wrote a book on the return of Christ. He dated the Old Testament to 4,004 years. So I'm pretty close to even him. Okay, I think it's 4,000 years. So you got 2,000 years to the calling of Abram. Who was, who was Abram? He was Abraham, right? Okay. And who was Abraham? He was the, the father of Israel. So in what do we know happened when Messiah was cut off? When, when Jesus Christ was crucified and resurrected, what happened? What began? The church age. Israel rejected Messiah. So God put them aside for a period of time. We know from, from Romans 9, 10, 11, 12, 9, 10, 11, that once, one day again, God is going to deal with Israel one more time, and all Israel will be saved. But it will only be when the fullness of the Gentiles come in, it will be at the completion of the age of the Gentiles. That was the mystery of God, which we see in Revelation chapter 10, where we're told that the mystery of God will be complete. And so it will be fulfilled which that mystery of God, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, is that the Gentiles and the, and the Jews will be one person before God. Well, in Revelation chapter 11, what do we see? Well, we see that final week of Daniel's vision starting, where God's going to once again deal with the nation of, uh, nation of Israel. And who is going to be the, the primary nation? We'll talk about this in a moment. The primary nation during the millennium. Israel. Where's, where's Jesus going to reign at? Jerusalem. 
Okay? Well, we have 2,000 years from the time of Adam to the call of Abram, or the beginning of Israel, and we have 2,000 years for Israel. You see a pattern? I see a pattern. Now, if Barnabas was right, if, I, if my understanding of Exodus 20 was right, and, and I think it's kind of neat that Barnabas saw it, and if Barnabas was right, then if there's a pattern holding true here, what would we think that there should be for the church age? 2,000 years. Hosea chapter 6, verse 1 and 2 says, Come, let us return to Yahweh, for he has torn, he has torn, causal, okay? But he will heal us in perfect future. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. After, and the word literally here means it's many, not many, like a many, many tickle parson, but very close, many, which means part of or out of. In other words, not necessarily the fullness of what I'm going to tell you, but coming out of this, after two days... He will what? Revive us or give us life. He will cause us to live again. On the third day, he will raise us up. Literally, he will cause us to stand or to be established. That we may live in his sight or before his face. Now, I think literally before his face is important here. Because a day is like a thousand years, right? A thousand years is like a day. That's, I'm taking what Barnabas said too. They hold to that. So after coming out of two, the 2,000 years, after approximately 2,000 years, what's going to happen? Israel's going to be what? Revived. They're going to be brought back to life again. God's going to bring life to the nation of Israel once again. Well, it, interestingly, 1,948 years, 1,950 years later, what happened? Israel was revived. And we're told that on the beginning of the third day, Israel will be what? restored to power. She will be established as the nation in the world. And it says they will live in the face in, before God's face. Now, why do I think that's important? You know, we're always living in the presence of God, right? Well, because Jesus Christ is going to reign what? In Jerusalem, literally, figuratively. And who is Jesus? He's Yahweh. Yahweh says, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, the Lord... Yahweh, that's his name, declares, he says, and they will look upon me whom they have pierced. And then he says, in Zechariah chapter 2 as well, he says, and, and I will live in their midst. Well, they're going to literally before his, his face. Now, this is all conjecture stuff, okay? But it's out there, it's biblical. It's, it's there, okay? Now, what are they saying? Well, if you could do what? If you could figure out the time that Jesus, what, died, you could figure out what? When he's going to come back. Note, I left, I stopped right here. Okay? Why? Because of the injunctions that were given. First of all, turn with me to Acts chapter 1. What are the injunctions that were, were given regarding the timing of Christ coming back? Even though we're given indicators of when it potentially is going to happen, Acts chapter 1 tells me, when Jesus was going up into heaven, and we looked at this a few weeks ago, when we considered prophecies of his return. But in Acts 1, beginning at verse 6, we read, Therefore, when they had come together, they asked Jesus, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons. Remember, that was the Kronos and the Kairos which Father has put into his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, 
And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so Jesus said something that was consistent that he told them already when he's talking about the end times in Matthew 24, verse 35 and 36. He says, no man knows the what? Day or the hour, but my father only. Okay, that's exactly right. And so no one knows the day or the hour. No one knows the exact timing of his coming. And so the disciples said, hey, is this the time that you're going to store the kingdom? And he says what? That's not for you to know. That's not your business. But here's what your business is. Be witnesses. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. You're going to receive power. And you're supposed to be witnesses for me. That's what you're supposed to do. Fulfill your function. Do what you're supposed to do and let God do what he's supposed to do. Okay? Now, it doesn't stop there, though, because this is kind of fun. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Because just as we talked about from the, the time of his first coming, so we're given the same injunctions regarding the second coming. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we read this last week, part of this last week when we talked about the climate of his return and we talked about it's going to be time when they say peace and safety um, and then great travail come upon him. But if we want to look at this from a different perspective today, beginning of verse 1, 1 Thessalonians 5, but concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need, again, the same words being used, times and seasons, okay? You have no need that I should write you for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a what? thief in the night. We'll talk about that in a moment when we go back to Matthew 24. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not what? You're not in the darkness. So that the day should overtake you or should come upon you as a thief. Huh. The day of the Lord is going to come like a thief in the night, but you are of the day, and so it shouldn't do what to you? It shouldn't shock you. It shouldn't surprise you. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. But note what he says here. This is really important. He goes on and says, you're, you're of the day. You're not of the night. So even though it's the time of Christ's coming is like a thief in the night, and it's going to take people by surprise, it shouldn't take you by surprise. Because you should be what? Waiting for it. Note he doesn't say, because you should be analyzing the scriptures to come up with the day and the hour. So you've got it pegged, and you can be telling everybody when it comes. He doesn't say that. What he says is, you ought to be seeing the events that are going on. You ought to be looking at the prophecy that the word of God, and that's why we said, blessed is he who, what, reads, and those who keep the words of this prophecy. You ought to be looking at the, the whole counsel of the Word of God. You ought to be understanding what God has declared is going to be. And when, when those times are starting to come and you hear of wars and rumors of wars and pestilence and earthquakes and famines and diverse kind of places and, and the love of many is waxing cold and all of a sudden there are uh, false anointed ones rising up everywhere and there are people doing wonders that it seems like, wow, this has to be of God. And he says, it's, but if it was possible, it would deceive even the very elect. He says, when these things start to happen, you should know what? It's coming. It's coming. You better have your house in order because Jesus is coming back. Now, I don't know about you, but I look out there and I see Hosea chapter 6. I could be wrong, okay? Now, I'm not a prophet nor a son of a prophet, and so I could be wrong. But when I read Hosea chapter 6 and God says that after 2,000 years or so, I'm going to revive my people and Israel's been revived, I start to say to myself, what? Bob, wake up. Smell the coffee. 
Get with the program. The time's coming soon. And I, and I didn't, we didn't go to Daniel chapter 12, but you can go to Daniel chapter 12. Daniel says that that end time, that, that information's going to abound and many are going to be running to and fro. What do I see all over the world? I mean, the internet. Information is what? Abounding. I mean, you can go on the internet and find whatever you want. I mean, I'm doing a ceramic towel shower, you know, right now, and, and though we've done numerous of them, I, I want to go back and I want to research it again and just see, you know, if anything new and stuff like that. And so I go on there, and there's a guy that's got pictures, you know, and, and and so here I'm from my house. Not only this week am I studying on the the timing of Christ's first coming, the study of His second coming. I'm also studying about making a ceramic towel shower, I and mean, it's all from my computer. You, you get it? I'm sitting on the couch. And I didn't have to get up and go you know, to the library and research things. I'm just sitting there and I'm finding all this stuff out. Information is what? Abounding. And you can get on the plane this morning and get off in Hong Kong tonight. And there are people what? Doing it all the time. People are running to and fro. And I look at these things and I go, hmm, this is really interesting. Could it be in my lifetime? Now, you can add to 2,000 years and go from there too, okay? I can't give you a day or hour, even a year on that one. But still, any range that you use from whether you're looking at the birth of Christ, whether you're looking at the, the death of Christ, or even the resurrection of Christ, and whether you're looking at 29 A.D. or whether you're looking at 33 A.D. or 34 A.D. as that time, I don't care what range you look, that's my lifetime. Make sense? Now, I'm not promising that he's going to come. I'm just telling you that I'm seeing the indicators. And as I'm told here, I shouldn't be as those who are what? Of the darkness. And I shouldn't be living like those who are in darkness. Rather, I should be living like one who is of the light. And I should be reflecting his great light to the world that I live in. And I should be seeking to, to, to witness, being that witness and testifying to what God has done in my life so that others can come to know him and of his grace before it's too late. Because we read in Matthew 24, and we don't have time to go through clearly all this passage but you can turn there. But in Matthew 24, beginning at verse 42, um, all the way in the chapter 25, we have three pictures, illustrations that Jesus uses regarding his coming back. First of all, there's the watchman and the, the, the one who is supposed to be watching over the house. He's entrusted with his master's household. And he says, now, if that guy, if that steward of the house, if that watchman had known what hour the, the thief was coming, what would he have done? He'd been ready for it. He'd been ready for it. If he even knew the season, if he knew that this week it was going to happen, what do you think the U.S. intelligence agency does continually? Say what? They're surveying us. Well, they may be surveying us too. But what do they do, Amanda? Do you listen to my phone calls? Anyways. What, what? Yeah, you can confirm or not. Right. But, but as a whole, what does the U.S. intelligence agency do? They protect us, but they're watching everything. And, and predominantly, they're watching everything to find the, to see whether we're going to be what? Attacked. I mean, there are times when plans are subverted that we don't even know. You understand? That don't make it to the news pages. Okay? I know what, I know what we knew 20, 25 years ago when I was in. Make sense? And, and I extrapolate that, and I bring it to today. It's amazing, I'm sure, the stuff that They've got going on with the Internet and, and listening devices and stuff like that. I mean, you know, I mean, I was the day when we actually tested the mobile subscriber equipment, and we went to Europe, 
and, and, and tested these things that you call cell phones. And for us, they were big old things we call mobile subscriber equipment. And we were testing it to make sure that it worked. And you're thankful that we did that now. And you people that have um, that, that little round uh, satellite dish and you have dish network on the side of your house, you're thankful that we did the special first. Special Forces Burst Communication System back then, so that the Special Forces could take out that little bitty satellite dish and be able to talk back to headquarters, because that's exactly what you use now for cable TV, if you have that. I was there, we did that. Okay. Now, if I was there 20, 25 years ago, and that's the stuff that we did back then, before the, the world ever saw it and started using it years later, think of what the military's got now. Okay. And some of you are on the intelligence side, and you can either firm, confirm or deny, you know, you know even more than we do, okay? It's amazing what's out there. Well, why do they do that? Well, they do that so that we can find out when the enemy is coming, if you would, when the burglar is trying to get into our country. And when they find it out, they may not know the exact day or hour, but they find out that there's a what? There's a plan. There's a concept. There's a happening going on. And do you know what we do from that moment as a nation, behind the scenes? We try to be prepared. They may not tell everybody in the house, hey, burglar's coming tonight, better be ready. They don't get very scared. But behind the scenes, what's the master of the house doing? He's making sure things are ready. Now, the same concept holds true. Make sense? You have a little bit of an in here. You're part of the intelligence community. You get it? You're not people out there who think the Bible is just a bunch of bunk. You believe the Bible is the Word of God. And if you believe it's the Word of God, then you believe it's what? True. And if you believe it's true, then everything in it is true. And that means that when he says that something is going to happen, it's real. And so, therefore, you should be reading it. And you should know... Hey, guess what? Maybe the timing is for the burglar to come, for the thief to come in the night. And you should be getting your house in order. And you should be being prepared. And so Jesus says that that servant who who did that was a wise servant. But the one who didn't, he's going to be taken out and he's going to be what? He's going to be beaten. Well, then we're told about these virgins. These, these uh, 12 virgins, that, that uh, 10 virgins that, that went and, and they were waiting for what? The bridegroom to come. Well, some of them were prepared, and they made sure that they had what? The oil. But half of them didn't. They were just kind of lazy and, 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 you know, kind of like we get, apathetic and lethargic in, in our spiritual walk. And, you know, and, and they just, oh, you know, whatever, I'll do that later. I'll get to that later. And all of a sudden, they hear the cry, the bridegroom cometh, and it was what? It's too late. Hey, can you share some of your, your salvation with me? It's really the question, really, if you take the spiritual oil. Can you share some of the oil with me? And they say, what? No, we can't do that. It didn't happen that way. you got to go out and get it yourself. you got to do it yourself. It was what? It was too late. The bridegroom had came. He took the brides who were ready. And those others weren't ready. They stayed. Jesus is coming again. Are you ready? And then finally, he talks about the steward's of the of the field. Again, they weren't ready for the master to come back. But those who were were blessed. So my question to you and I is do you really believe that Jesus can come back at any time? And if you really believe he can come back at any time, that it, it I mean literally. I mean for hundreds of years they believed that. But clearly today we, we can look at God's word and say to ourselves what? It's now. I mean it, it could be coming any time. If you really believe that, how does it affect your life? How would Christ describe your life? Which type of the watchman, virgin, or steward would you be? Now, you have to read all that to, to, to see all that. But would you be the wise steward or would you be the foolish steward? Would you be the wise 
um, the wise virgins, or would you be the what? The foolish ones. Would you be the wise stewards, or would you be the foolish steward? Which would you be? As Jesus came in the completion of time, so he's going to come again in the completion of time as well. 